Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today. We are still in an in-between state. We're starting a new series next Sunday morning called Red Flag Relationships. We're going to be taking a look at some of the red flags that you might come across in a variety of different relationships. Pay attention to them, mark them down, because you certainly don't want to ignore them. So that's what we're going to get into next Sunday morning. You don't want to miss that as we kick off that series. Today, uh, it's another kind of standalone message today. I want to share my heart with you, something very important to Forest Park, something very important, hopefully, to you. So I'm glad you are here for today's message. Today, I'm going to take you back some 35 years. I'm not certain how it came into my hands. I don't actually remember the details surrounding it, but someone recommended or gave me a copy of the book, Through the Gates of Splendor. Some of you have read this book. Some of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. Others of you may pick it up as a result of today's message. I don't know. I remember reading through the book. Reading was not something I did much at that time, but this particular story captivated me. Five young men, Jim, Nate, Ed, Pete, and Roger, all all these young guys along with their families set out to carry the message of love and forgiveness to a Stone Age tribe tucked away in the jungles of Ecuador. One of the reasons these men and women were compelled to reach this tribe is because word had gotten out and was spread around in the news at that time that these tribes were at war with one another. There were a variety of different tribes in that particular area, and one Indian from this tribe would kill one from this tribe, and then this tribe would retaliate and kill another person from this tribe, and it was becoming more and more violent. And these young men and women believed that the only way for this violence to stop was to introduce God's love and mercy and forgiveness to these people. And that's exactly what they did. Nate Saint, one of the five young men, was a pilot. And they flew over this location where the Wadani Indians lived. And they dropped gifts from the plane down to the people who were living below. And they did it again and again. The the, the packages were received and they were used. And they would come back and they would drop more packages to them. And they would take those packages and they would use them. So after months of this, they identified a place to land the small plane on the Kuare River. As you can see there, there's a small little piece of sand that jettisons out a little bit there, and they could land the plane on that very small piece of sand. The young men were eventually approached by a small group of Wadani Indians, and they even gave one of them a plane ride. He was very curious and wanted to see what, what is this machine, this thing, they didn't even know what it was, and they took him up and flew him around for a little while and landed back. They called that particular curious guy George. And because of these positive exchanges, Jim and Ed and Roger and Nate and Pete decided to visit the actual tribe. Before they could, however, on January 8th, 1956, they were met on the river landing strip, a landing strip they had come to several different times. They had nicknamed it Palm Beach. Ten of the Wadani warriors met them there and speared the five of those missionaries to death, and they were floating in the water. Life Magazine actually did an entire expose on this and did a 10-page layout of the death of these five missionaries. And it went all around the United States and people were reading it and talking about it. Well, this all is in the book that I read as a, as a young man. And as you can imagine, my, my attention and interest 
as a young, you know, new pastor and preacher and doing the best that I could to also, you know, take the gospel to different people, etc. And it really arrested me. And I, I thought about it again and again, wondering what it must have been like flying over the jungles of Ecuador in the 1950s and finally landing the plane and meeting the people who you are attempting to help, believing that the ones that you saw coming out to meet you were going to receive the gifts that you have for them and it would be a wonderful, you know, meeting. Instead, you were murdered, you know, on, on the beach. I thought about their wives, I thought about their children, I thought about their parents, and I thought about the Wadani tribe, the fear that they must have had of these white people that were coming into their place where they lived and the plane that they had never seen before, speaking a different language they had never heard before. It was reported the Wadanis saw pictures and the gift packages that were dropped from the plane and they had never seen pictures before. And they thought the, that the people in this, this plane were magici magicians of some sort and they were scared. I carried this story in my mind and heart for years. I graduated college, married, Lan and I moved to Indiana, then we moved back to North Carolina, and we began serving as pastors or associate pastors in a reasonably large church in Kinston, North Carolina. Well, I want to skip ahead now 15 years. All that happened when I was just a young man, and here I am sitting at my desk one afternoon in January 2001. And mail came across my desk like it did every single day, you know, and I didn't read most of it because some of it was ads and different things like that. But this particular letter piqued my interest, and I re remember reading it. And I, when, as I began to read it, you know, my heart skipped a little bit. As I began to read it, I got somewhat nervous because it was a letter announcing an outreach trip to Ecuador. And I hadn't thought too much of it, you know, the country. Of course, I had that in my mind. But I moved on with, with life and was doing the best I could to get started in ministry. But when I read this letter and I, I saw the country, my, my mind began to flip through its memories. And I landed on the details of that particular story, the story that I just told you. And I got up from my desk. I went next door where Lana was working. And I handed her the letter. I said, read, read this. And then I said, what do you think? And I said, I, I'm thinking about going. And she responded, well, I want to go too. And we spoke to the senior pastor, and he encouraged us to go. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd, I'd never led a, a trip before. I had never done something like this before. But I said, okay, well, this is too amazing you know, to ignore, so I'm just going to get up and tell the people, hey, we're, we're going to partner with another church, and we're going to go to Ecuador this summer. And if you want to go with us, then meet us at this particular location at a particular time, and we'll fill in the details. We're just learning as we go, too. So we'll all do this together. And 28 people said, We'll go with you. So that July, 30 of us boarded a plane and we journeyed to South America for the first time. Uh, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what we would do. We didn't know if we'd be helpful or we would be in the way. Uh, but we went and we sang and, and danced. Well, Lana sang and danced. I, I kind of tagged along and followed her around and preached and prayed when I could. We laughed and cried. We asked questions. We learned a lot. And it was deeply impactful. In fact, I can't put into words, even today, 22 years later, what that week did for me as a young leader, as a young pastor. Do you believe that one short week can change your whole life? Do you believe that one seven-day period can make such a difference in your life that it changes the trajectory of, of your life? Do you believe that one week 
can make such a difference that thousands of other people are impacted? I do. I, I do believe that. I believe moments matter. I think every book you read matters. I think every sermon you hear matters. I think every TV show you watch matters. I think every song you hear matters. I think everything we do matters, especially when those, those moments are God-packed and when they unfold, the impact they can have is just unbelievable. Well, 22 years later, I'm still really working my way through all the things that I saw and, and, and what happened to me. And here's just a taste. I, I sat down this past week and I said, I just want to write down a few things that really hit me when I came back, what, what I carried back with me. This is not the bulk of the message. This is just something I just want to share with you quickly and then we'll get to something else. But here are the things that impacted me when, when I was there and when I came home. Real simple. They're not, you're not going to, when you hear these, you're not going to say, oh, that, that's life changing. It was just, for me, it was very impacting. First was the world is huge. The world is huge. In Guayaquil alone, the, the city we served in, there's 4 million people there. And it, it's a city most people sitting in this room never even heard of. And yet there's 4 million people living there. And it's not even considered that large of a city by South American standards. Around this globe, as we sit here this morning in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, there are millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, billions of people all around our globe, meeting in churches and cathedrals and in their homes and shopping and taking care of business and in grocery stores. There's just massive planet on which we do life. Speaking different languages, different cultures, different needs. We are just a drop in the ocean. I knew that factually then. But when I went and saw all the people in different languages and different culture, when I came home, I just remember having this sense of, wow, this is a big world. Another thing that hit me hard was that people are beautiful. I returned to the States with an incredible appreciation for all the people around our world, the different foods and music and children and art and everything. This world is amazing, and I get to be a part of it, just impactful. Another thing is that the gospel is rich. I'm, I'm 52. I've traveled. I've read. I have a decent education. I've considered other options. I really have. And I'll tell you, I, I know of nothing even close to fixing what's wrong with this broken world better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It restores, it heals, it creates, it unifies, it forgives, it encourages. It is what South America needs, North America needs, Africa needs, Asia needs, Europe needs, Australia needs. I know of nothing better than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes lives and nations. Here's something else that I realized. Resources are abundant but not well dispersed. The churches that we went into, the schools we went into, some of them had electricity, some of them didn't. Some of, some of the schools we went into at that time, 22 years ago, they didn't even have chalk. They didn't even have enough paper for the kids. And I thought about all the things that we have here and all the resources we have. And I realized that we have an abundance of resources around this world, but it, it's not well dispersed. Some have so much and others have so little. And we waste more than other people have. That's, that's not a guilt trip. That's just reality. It's just what I realized. And the last thing I'll share with you on that point is that most of us are distracted. All that's going on, but we're so wrapped up in things that, in my opinion, just doesn't really matter that much. We, we don't see people. 
okay? We, we don't see cultures. We don't see the needs around our world. I'm, I'm not implying you don't. I don't mean to imply that, but most of us don't. Most of us are so busy fluffing up our comfortable lifestyles and propping up our happy images. We don't see the people around us who are in need. And I remember coming home from that trip, I just remember, I don't know, I was kind of in a stupor for a while. I just... When I'd go into a restaurant and I'd hear a different language or an accent, I would think back. And when I would see needs and poverty or all the different things, I just remember thinking, wow, this is a big world. And wow, there's a lot of resources. And wow, I've lived most of my life distracted. And wow, I just remember living that way for so long. Well, we, we turned in July 2001, and I was already making plans to head back. We were going to go back and, and do it again, and we were going to take more people with us from that church. We had 30 the first year, and I set a goal that year to take 50 with us. I figured we could come back with the 30, and they were excited, and we'd tell people, hey, let's go. And Lana and I sat down, and we wrote out some, you know, some dreams and some goals and what we wanted to accomplish, and we didn't know exactly what would unfold and all the different things that were happening at that time, and it was just, you know, just stirring inside of my heart. And then for reasons I can't get into in this message, we, we actually left that church, and in November 2001, we came here. And one of the most difficult parts of moving here was realizing I probably needed to hang up Ecuador for a while. It isn't that we wouldn't go back, but we had a, a church at that time that needed my attention, and they hadn't had a pastor here for a little while, and I needed to kind of help get things moving again, and it was a different culture and different city. I had three small kids, and we're like, well, you know what? That was an amazing experience last year. We'll just kind of hang that over here to the side, and maybe we'll go back in a few years. Maybe we'll pick that up a little bit later, and I have to concentrate here on Forest Park, and we don't have a lot of resources at all, and I be honest with you, I was discouraged. I was disappointed. I, I, was, I sat in my office and cried because I thought, you know, why, why, did I, why did I experience that last summer? Why did I do that? Why, why did that happen? And, and now I just have to hang it up and turn over the reins to somebody else, let somebody else take it, let somebody else lead it. And I figured maybe in a few years we'd pick it back up. So I shared with Lana how I was feeling and, and she encouraged me to stand up and cast a vision to the people we had. Tell people we're going to go to Ecuador just like you did before and who wants to go goes. And if they don't want to go or can't go, it's no big deal. There's no guilt. There's no pressure. Just if you want to go, go. If you don't want to go, that's absolutely fine. And, and if, you know, two people go, then great. And if nobody else wants to go, then you and I will go. And I was like, I can do that. And I didn't have a lot of faith, to be honest with you. In fact, I set a goal of five people. I figured Lana and I were two, so I was almost halfway reaching my goal because I knew we were going to go. So all I had to do was com com, you know, convince three more people to go, and then we'd have five, and I'd reach my goal, and I was a great man of faith, you know. <laughs> so in January 2002, I stood up for the first time here at Forest Park and threw out the idea and said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to meet tomorrow night or whatever it was at that time, and we're going to talk about what this looks like, and we'd love to have you go with us if you want to. And out of that small congregation, 17 people said, hey, we'll go. So the 19 of us boarded a plane, and we set off for our first global outreach trip from Forest Park. And that year, we were in a different position. You know, we were at a larger church the year before, but a smaller church now, and we didn't really have the resources to contribute much to the trip. We just kind of sat in the back and asked questions and watched and learned, and we laughed and cried and prayed and dreamed and hoped, and we returned back to the States. It was evident that this needed to be something Forest Park does as often as we can every year from that point forward as much as possible. And we've gone every single year from Forest Park since 2002. And we've taken well over 500 different people 
different people. Some people have gone 10 times. So we've taken 500 different people with us from the States. We've seen about 25,000 people throughout our medical clinic. We've given away hundreds of thousands of dollars in free medicine. Uh, we've stood in front of 100, about an average of about 120,000 children in schools, and we've done dramas and prayed for them and just did all kinds. We've made a difference. So you, you can imagine how difficult it was a couple years ago when we had to say, we're not going. When COVID came and all the restrictions and we had to cut that out and say, we can't do it. Say, and we made the right decision. We're not saying we didn't. We did. And last year, too, we were very concerned. And we said, we canceled the trip. We had a Uganda trip planned. We canceled that. We canceled, and everybody was canceling. And we had to do that. And it was the safest decision. It was the right decision. But it was difficult. So, so why are you standing here today? Because we're, we're going to return this year. After two years of not being able to go, we're going to go this year. We're saying, hey, we're, we're doing it. We're going to step out of the boat. We're going to throw our legs over the side. We're going to put our weight on the water, and we're going to trust it's going to hold us up. Why? Why, why are you doing this? I mean, you know, why are you taking valuable time out of a service like this today, taking a whole Sunday morning service and just focusing on something that's going to happen in July? Why, why, why are you sharing your story like this, Scott? Why are you sharing your heart? Well, a lot of you have connected here at Forest Park over the last little while, and you don't know the story. Some of you, you haven't heard me even talk about this for years. And I felt it's important to kind of lay a foundation and tell you a little bit about why we do what we do. But before I get to the why, I want to tell you why we're not. In other words, there, there's some myths floating around, and I hear these myths. I hear it from people. I also see it on Facebook. I see it on different social media platforms. I, I hear it kind of rumbling through, and people, you know, today it's, it's real popular to bash the church and talk about how bad everything is and, you know, mission trips and all. I hear it all the time. I see it all the time. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to just say here are some myths that are floating around that aren't true, all right? Let me just give you three real quick, okay? The first myth is you're, you're going because you, you think you're their saviors, like we're their saviors. We're going because we believe people in Ecuador need us so much, and they can't do things on their own, and we have a savior mentality, and we're going to, to Ecuador to save those people. No, my friend. We do not see ourselves as saviors, I assure you. We, we do not have all the answers. In fact, we don't even know how to save one person. By the way, this is what I've learned over 20-some years. If anybody gets saved, it's often us. So we're not going there with that attitude. Here's another myth that I hear a lot. We're, you think you're more spiritual. We're, we're going to show people how much we love God above and beyond the other people who don't go. And we have this kind of attitude that those who go are more dedicated and those who don't go aren't. That, that is absolutely not true. We have no spiritual agenda to prove. Going to Ecuador or Uganda doesn't mean you love God more than the people who don't go. In fact, some of the most loving and graceful and kind and Christ-like people I've ever known have never gone anywhere outside of the States. And some of the most selfish and mean and hateful people have been on with us on those planes. It, it doesn't mean you're better than or less than. It, not at all. So just, just dispel that myth. And, and the third myth is that somehow we're going to just make converts. We want to get numbers. We want to just have people lift their hands and we can come home and say, we made Christians. I promise you that's not my goal. 
It's not Lana's goal to get people to pray a prayer or become a Christian, quote unquote. It's, it's not about converts. It's about many things. But converting people isn't really one of them for me. We'll say, well, Scott, why are you going then? Why are you going? I'm going to give these to you quickly, okay? Reasons that we're going. Number one, real simple. The body of Christ is in Ecuador. They're all around the world. Not just Ecuador, every single country. And the members of the body need love, encouragement, and assistance. Now, let me give you a scripture because some of you are like, you know, he's halfway through the message and he hasn't even given one scripture. (laughs) Philippians 1, 7 and 8. Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi and he says, I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You're in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Jesus Christ. See, this thing about being part of the church is not just here. We actually have emotion and heart and passion. We actually love the people around the world. And we want to spend time with them and encourage them and hug them and cry with them and pray with them and encourage what they're doing in their area of the world. That's why we go. Let me give you another reason we go. In front of us is a wide open door. The opportunity presented itself, and in my opinion, the need is the call. There's a need, and if I have the ability to meet the need and, and I can do it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. No, you can't say you can't say yes to every opportunity. No, you can't walk through every door. No, you can't meet every single need, but nobody is asking us to meet all the needs. No one is asking us to go through every door, but we do have a door, and we do have some needs, and we have some resources, and we're going to bring all of that together. Acts chapter 16, verse 8, 9, 10. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas instead. A vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night. He stood urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. You can just insert, come over to Ecuador and help us. The pastors, the leaders, the people there, a door is open for us. Come, help us. Immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia. And concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Sometimes you just got to go, where do I go? Where do I go? Well, there's an open door and there's an opportunity. Let's go. Let's go. A door is open. We're going to walk through it. Here's a tough one. Throughout the year, we spend a tremendous amount of energy, money, and time on our agendas, our comfort, and our family, friends, and churches. And it is good for us. And ultimately, good for the world to get as many people as possible out of their own worlds and into the worlds of other people. It's actually an indispensable part of discipleship to get out of your little world and into the worlds of other people. Looking at James 1. You must be doers of the word and not just hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear... But don't do the word or like those who look at themselves, their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves, walk away, and immediately forget what they were like. But there are those who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. They don't listen and then forget, but they put it into practice in their lives. They will be blessed in whatever they do. So we want to say, hey, you know what? We, we spend a ton of money and time and resources on 
our lives, our vacations, our homes, our yards, our cars, our fun, our, nothing wrong with that. But let's take some of it and give it to somebody else. Now, this gets a little tight, too. We rich people, rich people. So I'm not rich. You're rich compared to the world. I'm not rich, Scott. I, I, I don't have a lot of money. Well, it's because typically we compare ourselves to those above us. But statistically, if you make about 30000 40000 a year, you're in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people. We are rich compared to the world's standards. We are rich. And we rich people are commanded to give to those who have less. And that doesn't mean just give a check. It means get up. Go do. 1 Timothy 6. Tell people who are rich. That's all of us. Tell people who are rich at this time not to become egotistical and not to place their hope on their finances, which are uncertain. Instead, they need to hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good and to be rich in good things that they do. To be generous and to share with others. And here's, here, here's the last one I'm going to give you. Some of you are like, does he have 20 of these? No. Just five. Last one. Our friends deserve our best. And our best is to be present physically, to hug, cry, love, lift, encourage, and be present. And we can't do it best at a distance. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 2 says. Brothers and sisters, we were separated from you for a while physically, but not in our hearts. We made every effort in our desire to see you again. We made every effort to see you again. We made every effort to see you again. How? Face to face. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, tried over and over again. See, again, this, this being part of the church, being part of the body is about intimacy, closeness, love, service, physical. It's not just from a distance. It's not just spiritual. It's physical. Those are some reasons why we go. Those are some reasons. We don't have some spiritual agenda. We're not trying to win points. We're not trying to earn love. We're not trying to prove that we're better than other people. We're not trying to convert everybody. We're not trying to save everybody. We're simply trying to be the church, not just here, but around the world. And that's the door that we have in front of us. Folks, it's not about you earning points with God. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here to offer an opportunity. That's it. It's an opportunity. If you say yes, that doesn't mean anything other than you said yes. Now you're going to go help. If you say no, it doesn't mean you're any less than anybody else because you said no. It's not about that. It's about an opportunity that if, if you want to go. So, so here, here's what I want to see. I, I want to see about 25 people today say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to invest this summer because I've got some vacation or I've got some time and I spend so much time on me and my family and all the, I, I think I'm just going to take a week and I'm just going to say, you know what? I don't know exactly what I can do, but I can do something. So you can count on me. I, I'm going to consider going. That's it. And I want you to show up tomorrow evening because we have a meeting here at 630 right here. Real easy to find. Just come into this room. 
we're going to answer questions. We're going to have a meeting. You, you don't have to, you're not going to sign a contract tomorrow night. Nobody's going to come to your house. You know, we're not going to, it's just, a, it's information, inspiration for you to find out what's going on and say, hey, may, maybe I can be a part of this team. That'd be awesome. Just be here tomorrow evening, 630. We'll answer some questions for you. Now, I want to level with you, okay? You, if you go with us, this is, this is what I've learned. You, you, you will not change the lives of everybody, okay? You're, you're not going to get a big trophy or an expensive gift when you return, okay? Angels are not going to sing when you step off the plane, all right? God, God's not going to be like impressed and all the angels are going to go, look, look what they did. You won't have any secret bondages broken in your life because somehow you went, so now God's going to honor you by, you know, breaking the addictions in your life or giving you some spiritual amazing. Just put all that to the side. But I will tell you this. This is, this is my promise. You won't be the same. I'll promise you that. Okay? You will receive gifts that you couldn't buy with money. And you will meet some people, you will swear, are angels. <laughs> because they're so sweet and so kind, and you'll make new friends. And some of your secret bondages won't seem nearly as difficult after you've poured yourself out to other people. That, I will promise. i got to be as transparent as I can, okay? I used to think I could change the world. I did. If you, if you could roll back time, go back to when I was in my 20s, I was convinced. I don't know if you could have got me to admit it at that time, but I was convinced I could change the world. I used to think that I had the ability to make such a splash that everybody would feel the, you know, the waves of what I did, and they would respond, and together we would make a difference in this world, and everybody would know my name, you know. I guess I've lived long enough to know that that isn't true. It just isn't true. And I'm okay with it. I'm no longer trying to change the world. And I'm not asking you to join me in changing the world. In fact, some days I just want to hold my world together. Anybody know what I'm, I'm saying? Yeah. And it's freeing, you know? It really is. It, it's, it's a weight. I don't have to change the world. I don't have to. I, I can't do it anyway. And it's good to know that and admit that. A lot less pressure. I can't control your world. I barely can get mine situated where it needs to be. But I will tell you this. I am trying to improve your world a little bit. And it's not going to be through the traditional ways that you might think it is. You know, here are three, five secrets to happiness and four shortcuts to peace and, you know, three steps to absolutely no problems forever. No. I'm trying to improve your world by expanding it a little. I'm trying to improve your world by deepening it some. I'm trying to improve your world by growing it a little bit day by day. And I know no better way to do that than to get as many people in this world, out of this world, and into the world of others. Because something incredible happens when you stop focusing on yourself all the time and you focus on others. Something happens, and I, I didn't tell the first service this, so somebody here must mean this, or I just thought of it. Well, it sounds more spiritual the first way, right? <laughs> you, remember, you remember when Jesus, if you know the story, when Jesus comes to the woman, 
and uh, she's sitting at the well, and he talks with her, and the disciples show up in a few minutes, and, and they, you know, they're surprised that he's talking to this woman, and, you know, it's just this whole interchange, and some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. It's okay. I'll, it'll make sense at the end here. And the disciples say, Jesus, do you want some food? And he says, I already have food to eat that you know not of. And he's talking about this interaction he had with this woman. And they're like, oh, somebody must have got him some food. You know, they're just totally oblivious to what's going on. And then Jesus says this, lift up your eyes and look on the harvest field. He's talking about people just like this woman. They're all over. Lift up your eyes. What I'm trying to do is lift up your eyes. Because, see, we're so focused here, right? We're so focused on this, right? We're so focused on what's the next show, the next season. We're so focused on how much money, how's my 401k, how, you know, all the crypto stuff. We're so focused on everything that's right. And folks, it's not guilt. I'm not telling you. I, you return to it. It's okay. We, gotta, we, we live life. We're in this world, okay? I get it. But here's the deal. You've got to sometimes lift up your eyes. You got to get it off of the stuff here so you can see over it and realize there's a lot more out there. Lift up your eyes. That's what I'm trying to do as a pastor. What I'm trying to do is help you lift up your eyes. And the best way to do that is to give you opportunities. You see, here's the deal, all right? Much of what we do will not outlast us, it won't outlast us. Our sports, our social media, our trucks and cars, our guns and boats, our clothes and gym memberships, I'm telling you, it's all going to fade away when we turn to dust. It won't last much longer, some of it, that we give our lives to, won't last much longer than it takes for grass to grow across our graves. I'm asking you to step out, step out, do something that has potential to outlast you. Invest in the lives of other people. And it's not just on outreach trips. You could do that right here. You can do that on teams. You could do that with our kids. You could do that with our students. You could do that in so many areas. Just whatever it is, lift up your eyes. Look, 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 look. Something that has nothing to do with you is sometimes the greatest thing you could ever do for you because it changes everything. That's our best shot at making a difference. You know, I, I wonder what was going on in the minds of those young missionaries when they landed the plane on that narrow piece of sand in the Amazon jungles in 1956. I, I don't know, but I, I doubt they were trying to change the whole world. You know, I, I think they just really wanted to make a difference in the lives of a few Indians they felt could really use the message of Christ to help them stop killing one another, to let them know they're loved and that they can forgive rather than retaliate. Yes, they died on that piece of sand. Yes, but their legacy continues. Books have been written. Movies have been made. Countless men and women have been inspired. In fact, you may not know this, but their families, their wives, their sons, actually returned to those jungles and loved those men and women in those tribes. And the very ones who murdered their husbands, the very ones who murdered their father, became pastors and leaders all through the area. No wonder one of the five missionaries, probably the most well-known of the five missionaries, Jim Elliott, said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You're not a fool, my friend, to give your money away to good causes. You're not a fool to give your time away to that which matters. You're, you're not a fool to invest in other people. You're not. In fact, that's the smartest thing you can do. Smartest thing. So 
I want, I want you to just give me three minutes here. We're going to have a little, just a quick little video that Josh put together. It's three minutes, three minutes. It's just it has some quick pictures. It's not a big video or anything. But it just shows you a little bit of the schools and the clinic and the dancing and praying and the kids that we see. And then I'm just going to come back at the end of these three minutes. At the end of this, I'm going to pray. And we're going to go. That's it. Okay? All right. Let's watch this. Very quick overview of some of the things we do. Schools, medical clinic, churches, streets, all kinds of things. It's going to look a little different this year because of all the restrictions and the different things. We're going to answer all those questions tomorrow night, what it's going to take to go, what it means for you, all that. If you're interested, be here at 6.30 tomorrow evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your body, and your body is spread all around this globe. It's not just here at Forest Park. It's not just the churches that dot our landscape here in Elizabeth City. It's literally millions upon millions upon millions of people. Thank you for allowing us to be a part. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Lift our eyes. Help us to see all the different opportunities we have, different doors that are open. And may we walk through them and do incredible things and let you do incredible things in and through us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you guys for coming today. Have an incredible day. We'll see you.